The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I am your guest host today, Linda House, the president of the Cancer Support Community, filling in for Kim Tebaldo, the CEO who is off today. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are now offered at more than 170 locations worldwide, online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org and via a telephone helpline at 888-793-9355. And we will repeat all of that information a little bit later in the show in case you didn't get a chance to write that down. Today, we are talking about estate planning. Estate planning, preparing a will, selecting a power of attorney, finalizing health care directives, all of these can be daunting tasks for anyone. But someone who is facing a cancer diagnosis, these preparations take on a whole new meaning and may take on a different level of urgency, not only for the patient, but for their loved ones. Not only can these be complicated and emotional topics to confront, but there is often a lot of legalese that can be confusing, especially if you haven't handled these types of documents before. It's an extra layer of knowledge that you have to have. On today's show, Financial Planning 101, as we like to call it, we're going to break down all of the legal documents that need to be considered during this time with one of our CSC family members, a social worker who deals with people living with cancer and their families on a daily basis, and also an attorney who not only has experience with this topic professionally, but personally as well. So joining us on today's show is a very personal friend of mine, Paul Pittman, who is an esteemed tax attorney in Indianapolis, Indiana, where he specializes in business advising, estate and trust administration and planning, real estate, and taxation. After years of operating in a multi-partner practice, Paul opened Pittman PC, an individual practice. Paul has extensive experience in his specialty areas, and he also has a personal journey that has played a role in his current work. And Paul is going to share with us his journey later in the show and how he's using not only his expertise, but his personal journey to help patients and families deal with the issues that we're going to be speaking of today, such as healthcare directives, estate planning, living will, and power of attorney. Paul, thank you for joining us. We're so happy that you're here today to talk about this really important topic. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on the show. And we are also pleased to welcome back Clara Anderson-Saint. Clara is the program director at Gilda's Club Kansas City, and as many of you know, 
um, Gilda's Club Kansas City is Cancer Support Community's affiliate in the Kansas City area. After growing up in rural Missouri, Clara moved to Kansas City to complete her master's degree in social work, and through professional and personal experiences, she discovered her passion for helping support those grieving with the death of a loved one and began working in the hospice setting. Then, after receiving her clinical social work license and a certificate in grief counseling, she became the program director at Gilda's Club Kansas City. Clara and her husband are parents to one child, and I think, Clara, the last time I had you on the show, it was just after you had little Olivia, so it's great to have you back again, and thank you for being with us. Thank you, Linda. Happy to be back. Paul, let's get started with you. Um, I think it would really be beneficial if you could share with our listeners a bit about your story and how you find yourself doing uh, what, what it is that you're doing today. Sure. Um, approximately 10 years ago, uh, just through a regular checkup, I was diagnosed with a melanoma uh, near my abdomen. Um, we had an eight outpatient uh, surgery, and it was removed, and uh, I was blessed. There was no further treatment uh, that was required. Um, in September of 2011, um, that summer, uh, I thought that I had a hemorrhoid issue um, as a result of bicycling. And through a specialist, we determined that I had uh, stage 3 colorectal cancer. Uh, we did some further testing and uh, was also diagnosed with uh, thyroid cancer. Um, so we laid out a game plan for, for both of those. Um, we had radiation and chemotherapy uh, to help reduce uh, the tumor. Um, we had two surgeries in, in January of that following year, which was followed up uh, with some additional chemotherapy treatment and the uh, radiation uh, thyroid treatment as well. Uh, we did a final surgery uh, to do a takedown on my uh, colostomy um, that kind of hooked my plumbing back up. Um, so the surgeries, the treatments went very well. Um, I'm, I'm pleased to uh, let everyone know that uh, my energy is good, uh, that I feel uh, good, and I'm back at practice, uh, back enjoying my uh, family and friends uh, with a new uh, perspective on life. And you're facing a four-year anniversary soon. Uh, we are coming up. Uh, it will be four years in, in January. I, yeah. I count my uh, treatment, uh, my cancer-free from my last treatment. I know the doctors look at it from the removal date, so I'm a little behind that schedule in my own mind. But uh, <laughs> uh, nonetheless, uh, we're moving along very well. Thank you. Yeah, but you're doing well. And you usually don't hear of, of, of patients having three types of cancer all unrelated to each other in, short, in such a, a, a short time span. So h- tell us a little bit about that experience and, and, and how you really coped with that and, and how it sort of brought you into, into what you're doing now. Uh, yes, it uh, was pretty unique. I've, I've even done some genetic testing and, and had confirmed that uh, none of these uh, were related. Uh, and the genetic testing was helpful to give me a peace of mind for, for my three children and whether we would have to approach the, the, any future testing uh, for them differently. Um, I can tell you the, the things that got me through uh, this journey so far have just been the uh, support uh, of family and friends, um, a lot of prayers, um, my faith, and just staying positive and staying in a good place. Um, I've been blessed. I've got a wonderful wife of 25 years that uh, assisted me through uh, every facet of this, going to uh, the treatments, um, wh- whatever was needed uh, from a medical standpoint, 
friends and family, uh, just simply running errands, getting kids to practices, um, games, whatever the case may be, and, and providing my family with meals um, throughout uh, the treatment uh, phase. Uh, a quick story, we, I'm a little bit um, particular about my landscaping, uh, which I wasn't able to take care of during my treatment. We had 10 friends show up one day uh, and, and spent 9 or 10 hours just taking care of my landscaping. Uh, it's ready for an HGTV show uh, when <laughs> done. Um, but that experience just really uh, kind of a turning point. It allowed me to accept some help uh, that I was struggling with, and I know others uh, struggle to allow people uh, to assist them. So that, that was uh, very uh, key for me. Um, uh, with respect to my prayers and, and my faith, um, just uh, a lot of people through my church at St. Rock's uh, praying for us, they uh, had a prayer service uh, for me that uh, they created these small uh, books uh, that were blank pages that people wrote prayers and, and notes of encouragement uh, for me. Um, so those prayers and, and those relationships um, really helped me keep in a good place and, and get to where I am today. Mm-hmm. And it's the true meaning of a community. It is, very much so. Yes. And so, as we mentioned in your introductions, you have been a very successful business and tax attorney for nearly 25 years, but you've recently you know, shifted your practice a little bit and started to offer services to others who are facing cancer. And I know we're going to dive a little deeper into you know, specific services and what our listeners need to know as they think about preparing some of these very important documents. But can you just let us know what it is that you're uh, doing for people? Uh, absolutely. Um, one of the, the things that I realized that helped me uh, through this cancer journey um, are the resources that I had. And it wasn't the financial resources, but it was the support resources, um, the second opinions uh, that I was able to, to get through uh, nursing relationships and family uh, relationships and, and being able to um, understand um, some of those treatment options that I had. Um, I really wanted to become a resource uh, for cancer patients, uh, whether it was in the estate area, taxation, the, the different areas that I practice in professionally, uh, or just being able to get them uh, to a doctor, share my doctor, share my uh, resources uh, with them. So I, I've tried to extend my um, professional practice uh, to become more of a resource for people, uh, particularly with cancer. Uh, to get them uh, answers uh, that they need for that journey. Mm-hmm. And by that, you're offering counseling and coaching and assistance with completing some of these very important tools. Uh, absolutely. We, uh, typically, we will have a meeting. Uh, sometimes I have to do it by phone, uh, depending on uh, the health uh, of the patients. Uh, but we're doing this work on a pro bono basis um, and sharing these resources um, to allow people to have access to the resources that financially may not be able to do that, whether it's doing the referral or actually uh, preparing some of the professional service uh, and just doing that on a pro bono basis. 
Mm-hmm. That's remarkable. And we often hear cancer survivors say that it's really important for them to give back to others. Or, you know, in, in your, your quick story, it, it seems like you're helping to, to pay it forward a little bit or to help others in the same way that, that your, your friends manicured your lawn for you, which was really uh, important to you. And I just wondered if that was a bit of an inspiration to help you tip into this decision. Uh, it, it was. Um... You know, I've, I've been blessed through my upbringing. Charity uh, has been something that uh, has been made important to myself, and it's important for my family. But it's typically been along the, the lines of, of food issues or poverty issues. Um, my cancer experience has certainly focused my time and energy more uh, on cancer patients um, and the challenges uh, that they have. Um, and, and I think being um, having that cancer experience allows me to uh, open up, share that with them, uh, and, and truly pay it forward and help others that get through the journey uh, understand what a blessing we've each had and, and maybe help them uh, pay it forward as well, um, whether it's through uh, the cancer experience registry that you guys provide. Uh, that's a great tool. Um, any way that we can find to pay it forward, um, uh, we certainly try to. Mm-hmm. And, and what was the reaction of your coworkers or your family and friends to to your new, you know, found work? Uh, been very positive. Uh, my staff, uh, as well as myself, are, are very blessed, and and um, they're excited about the pro bono services. Um, we work very hard to be engaged uh, with our clients uh, on a daily basis, but it's just different when someone's fighting for his or her life. Um, it's just a different scenario, and and. Uh, to see the extra effort uh, from my staff and, and them being excited about the pro bono efforts. And it's really kind of spilled over um, in our last staff meeting. We've talked about creating a, a charitable page um, on uh, our website to let people know that we can help and we're willing to help, whether it's cancer-related, um, just even talking about some of the other pro bono services and, and charities that our staff's helping with. So it's, it's been kind of contagious. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, and hopefully this show will help distribute the word uh, even more for you moving forward. So we are going to take a quick commercial break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored in part by Lilly Oncology and ASI. We will be right back when we'll hear more about Financial Planning 101, like we said in the beginning, from both Paul and from Clara, ways in which that you can cope and enter into these type of conversations with your friends and family. Join us right after this break. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community 
a global network of education and hope. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your guest host today, Linda House, filling in for Kim Tebaldo, the CEO of the Cancer Support Community, who is off. We're here today with cancer survivor and attorney, Paul Pittman, and also program director of CSC's affiliate, Gilda's Club Kansas City, Clara Anderson-Saint. We've been talking to Paul about his particular cancer experience and how both his cancer experience and his skill set in, in his work life have led him to offering a number of his services to other patients with cancer and their families free of charge. In this segment, I want to just dive into a little bit of the emotional side of financial planning and what it means to patients, what it means to their families, how best to start to engage in some of these conversations. And then into the third segment, maybe the the end of this segment, really get into some of the nuts and bolts of what do the forms mean? How do you fill them out? How do you go about seeking assistance? You know, those sort of things. So, Paul, I wanted to just just wrap up with you before we uh, move to Clara. In the last segment, we talked about the services that you're offering kind of broadly. And, you know, can you just give us a little bit more in, insight into these particular services and why they are so important for people who have cancer and their families? Yes. Um, the, the first and primary uh, service that I provide is the estate planning um, to be able to um, specify the roles of the caregivers and the people that will be involved um, in your estate plan, uh, whether there's a terminal illness uh, or not. It's very important to get those people involved and to understand what their roles and expectations are. Um, I also spend time uh, discussing uh, post, which is the physician's order scope of treatment um, to uh, address uh, the care for, for people, and I know we'll talk a, a little bit more detail about that later. Uh, taxation, a lot of people don't think of taxation uh, related to an illness, um, but it's very important because if there are, um, there are tax effects about how uh, medical treatment is, is paid for, um, and, and how is that financed? Is it financed from retirement accounts? Is it financed from uh, lines of credits, um, savings accounts? So the taxation and financing uh, play a big role um, in helping people get through this cancer journey. So I, I spend time with them uh, trying to walk them through uh, those aspects of it as well. Mm-hmm. And so, Clara, let, let's bring you into to this conversation um, now. 
so when you really talk about the emotional side of planning, and we heard you know Paul go into some of the the services that he provides, it can be overwhelming. Just the terminology can be overwhelming, especially when you layer it into the term the new terminology of of a cancer diagnosis. And I also know that even when we offer in our affiliates support groups on financial planning um, or resourcing that sort of thing, that people sort of shy away from that. So can you talk a little bit about you know the resistance that that patients might uh, might might feel about planning their estates, or what do you experience, and how you might overcome some of those concerns? Sure, uh, you know, bringing up all of these topics, like you mentioned, there's some resistance, and it just brings up lots of emotion. It kind of really forces people to start facing their mortality and what it would what they would want their wishes to be for their family after they're no longer here. And one of the things we just discuss with people is not planning doesn't keep the end from happening. It just ensures that no one's prepared for it. So although this is pretty emotional, starting that process, or at very least the very basic conversation will go a long way to assist all the family members in preparing all their particulars. And death, even expected ones, is not something that we're ever truly emotionally prepared for, but it does help the grief process having some logistics and estate decisions already made, so that's not something they're trying to do in the middle of all of the grief. But I think, you know, like you mentioned, the most common resistance is really just that fear in terms of having this conversation. So finding a place or like Paul's service of receiving support and guidance in the process, I think, is the most essential. Mm-hmm. Well, and Paul, I thought I heard you, you say that this is really important for people, whether their cancer is curable or not, um, that they should be thinking about long-range planning, um, regardless of that particular scenario. And that, that's correct. Um, to, to be able to address um, the estate planning aspect and, and get some of these uh, this stress uh, off of your plate uh, is very helpful. Um, I, I find that because of my cancer experience uh, that I'm able to uh, have open conversations uh, with some of these clients and they feel a little bit more at ease with me. I usually start off and, and kid them about us being in the cancer club uh, together that we certainly don't invite anybody to be there, but once you're in, it's you're in. And it lets, it lets their defenses down and, and puts them at ease, and uh, we can kind of talk through uh, my experience where it's appropriate uh, when I feel like they're having trouble opening up and communicating uh, with me, and uh, I'll share as much of my experience as, as I think is helpful uh, to them. But it really lets us... Um, get into the estate planning process and the other aspects uh, of it uh, because of my my relationship uh, with Mm -hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's so important. We just saw a study that was released at the end of last week from um, a, a group doing some work on financial toxicity in Texas, where patients are saying that they feel more financially stressed. I'm sorry, they feel more distressed about their financial situation than they do about their health situation. So. You know, the more that we see those kind of studies come out, the more and more the more important that that this work really really becomes. And so, I'm wondering, Clara, could you just share with us maybe some of the 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 elements of of these financial discussions that that your patients and families have been most appreciative of, or that have been most helpful to them? Yeah, I think again, it's just you know having that safe place to get their questions answered or their fears explored. It's a very delicate conversation, and 
like you mentioned, there's all these logistics that people aren't even aware that they need to decide. Like Paul's going to go into more detail about the actual documents, but sometimes people aren't even sure what it is that they need in terms of preparing their finances or even their end-of-life decisions. So we kind of just really try to inform them as much as possible, but give them that safe place to just ask those questions and explore what it is that they need answers to. Mm-hmm. And Paul, have you found that, that the ability to relate to you as a cancer survivor has been one of the, the most beneficial pieces so far, or is there something else that, that people have really appreciated in, in the dialogue you've had with them? It, it certainly helps uh, being a cancer survivor or working to be a cancer survivor, uh, as I say to myself every day. <clears throat> but it, it does put them at ease. Uh, it does allow us to have good conversations. As Claire was saying, a lot of times we have to lay out to them questions that need to be answered. They don't understand uh, the questions, uh, particularly when you're uh, overwhelmed and it's early on in a diagnosis, um, to be able to walk them through things that they need to think about um, and to let them know that once we get this done, um, the stress that's going to be relieved from them. I mean, even my quote-unquote healthy clients uh, are so thankful to have this estate planning work uh, completed uh, and the caregivers as well to be able to to do this for for someone that's uh, facing cancer, uh, certainly a stress reliever. Mm-hmm. And Clara, can you speak a little bit about the families? And you know, there there are different family dynamics, um, regardless of whether you're well, healthy, married, not married. Um, so so when you think about you know moving into this particular space of estate planning and finances, you know. Are, are there any sort of helpful hints or things that we should avoid or we should think about if we're thinking about starting to engage in this level of conversation with our families? Well, I think it's just being aware of the dynamics that exist in your own family. You know, I've heard many stories of, you know, a, a strange family member or someone who lived out of the area, a distant member who swooped in at the end to kind of find out where the money fell. And each family might have that story or at least their own dynamics. So if you start to think about your family and start to prepare for what it will be like afterwards, you know, what is it that you need to decide on and how is it best to inform your family of your plan? And, you know, it's just that conversation of being as open and as honest. And, you know, I think it's the surprises that create the most charged situation. So even if it's, you know, a general conversation, just giving everyone a heads up, I think is the best place to start. Mm-hmm. And is it easy for some to lean on a third party to help with that conversation? Sure. You know, I think there's that in, in instinctive emotional protection over each other and you know you want to be able to leave everyone in a good financial position but that just might not be where you're at it might not be the means you might not have that so having someone else help decide what it is exactly that you can do to help your family or are there other things that you could decide ahead of time that might help in the future Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you for that. We are going to go to a quick commercial break. And when we come back, I really want to get into the nuts and the bolts of the, uh, the learnings for our, our listeners and, and how they can begin to prepare. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. This episode is sponsored in part by Amgen Oncology and Bristol-Myers Squibb. We will be back shortly right after this break. Cancer. It's a lonely word. 
terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. We're back with Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and I'm your guest host today, Linda House, the president of the Cancer Support Community, filling in today for Kim Tebledo, the CEO, who is off today. We are joined by cancer survivor and attorney, Paul Pittman, and program director of Gilda's Club Kansas City, Clara Anderson-Saint. We've been talking about the process of estate planning and other financial planning, and also sort of the the emotional process of that uh, as well. And for this next segment, as promised, we want to roll our sleeves up and get our hands dirty and really talk about the different documents that, that Paul has alluded to, and in particular, some of the things that you need to know about each of them and questions that you might want to ask as you are thinking about your own scenario um, around financial planning. And so, Paul, let's dig into some of the services that you've offered. And, and so far, you've given us a great sense of why we should you know, be aware of these, why we should be considering them, and why it's so important to have them prepared regardless of your health status and truth. Can you walk us through the process of estate planning first? What does it mean? What are the elements of it? Really, what do our listeners need to know, um, both as a patient and a caregiver, about estate planning? Uh, sure. The uh, estate planning process uh, is very fact-sensitive, so it is different uh, for each family. Um, There are some basic documents um, that are are pertinent to virtually every estate plan, Um, the first being the power of attorney uh, relating to the assistance of finances uh, for an individual. Uh, We can set those power of attorneys up with 
um, different flexible options so that um, their powers could be delegated uh, within a document. We can set up the timing as to when uh, a power of attorney takes effect, uh, whether it uh, takes effect immediately. Uh, if you're caring potentially for an elderly uh, family member, uh, we can have it take effect upon some future uh, incapacity. So we can really custom customize the power of attorney uh, document uh, to fit the fact pattern of, of the individual family. Uh, the next document that we use um, is the healthcare uh, power of attorney. Uh, it allows for healthcare decisions uh, to be made by a third party uh, when an individual can't make those healthcare decisions uh, on their own. Uh, both of those documents will have um, an individual, an attorney, in fact, or healthcare representative listed. And then it's often important to have backup uh, successor in those documents as well. If we've got somebody that's traveling, um, God forbid somebody was in an accident together, um, we would like to have a backup uh, care provider uh, to be able to step in if that's necessary. Uh, the third document uh, that we use is a living will. Um, they are governed by uh, state statutes, so they're different uh, for each state. Um, but they will go through and lay out the conditions that need to be met uh, prior to the document become effective, uh, becoming effective. Um, they're very similar to a do not resuscitate order that most people are familiar with. Uh, and it will lay out whether uh, hydration or nutrition uh, is an option, if life-belonging machinery uh, is a request. Indiana statute specifically allows someone to choose those options, to not choose those options, or to leave that decision to the health care power of attorney. Uh, so, again, we can customize uh, those documents to the individual. Uh, Indiana requires that the living will be made part of your medical record, uh, so we will send a copy of that to your treating physician to make it part of uh, the medical record. And then the next two documents relate uh, to um, the will and the trust uh, will relate to the transfer of assets uh, as well as some further appointments uh, for a guardian. Uh, a guardian uh, is there for someone to have an incapacity. Most of the time we think of these incapacities as just uh, an age issue where we've got a minor involved, but uh, it's important to have a guardian appointed uh, for health care um, if we have a situation where um, we have to care for that individual, either from a financial standpoint or from um, a health care perspective. Uh, and then the will, as most people are familiar with, will also be there to transfer assets, whether it's the children, grandchildren, uh, family members, friends, uh, charitable organizations. Uh, so we will go through and, and discuss uh, the asset transfers as well. Uh, sometimes when we need specific um, guidance after we're gone, we will use a trust so that we can put conditions on uh, how we want assets transferred uh, to children or grandchildren, particularly if we've got a minor involved and we want to hold those assets uh, to a later date uh, until we've got a uh, someone that's 25 or 30, uh, whatever age uh, preference the, the person setting up the trust. Uh, wishes to use. So those are the primary documents that are used um, in most estate planning. Uh, when you have individuals that have uh, more assets, then the estate planning can be more complicated and uh, different gifting techniques can be used. But those documents are the five primary documents in most uh, estate plans that will allow us to uh, transfer wealth, transfer assets, um, and minimize any type of 
inheritance taxes uh, that may exist at the state level or, or at the federal level. Uh, speaking of taxes, that's the next area uh, that we assist to it. Um, when you're looking at the taxes, I mentioned previously that often people don't think of uh, taxes or financing with uh, illnesses. Um, when we have uh, health savings accounts uh, available or we're able to show clients how to utilize those, they're able to pay for some of these medical costs using pre-tax dollars. It will save them money uh, and create uh, additional money to, for this care. Uh, we'll look at insurance and what's, what's deductible from an income tax uh, perspective. Uh, we'll help them classify what kind of medical bills may be deductible, again, trying to reduce uh, the tax impact of this illness and the financing concerns that, that you and Clara had spoke about uh, previously. Uh, we will also get in and look at um, how are we going to finance this. If we use an IRA or some type of retirement vehicle, uh, we may have to look to see if we've got an exception to avoid the tax. Uh, or if there is going to be a tax liability, we'll have to determine how much we need to set aside and help them manage uh, that cash flow when it comes to paying uh, taxes. The last part of the financing that we spoke to is how do we pay for um, some of this uh, care? Uh, do we do it with uh, assets that we have in savings accounts, checking accounts? That's not always sufficient. Uh, sometimes we actually have to borrow money. Uh, we've helped clients uh, go to the lender resources that we have and, and set up lines of credit. Uh, we've even helped some uh, elderly clients uh, set up reverse mortgages. Uh, most of the time, you have to be over 62 years of age to do a reverse mortgage, but it may be the way to get at uh, equity in the home and use it to care for um, the medical needs that are there uh, without creating some additional stress for the client. Uh, so those are the different areas that we sit down and try to help clients. Uh, we do some general consulting as well, um, but that's usually getting people to resources outside of the scope of what we do. Uh, uh, we certainly don't try to advise in any type of medical capacity. Uh, we try to get them to people like Claire uh, or uh, treating physicians, if that may be the case, if it's outside the scope of what we do. So I'm going to ask you one question, and I'm intentionally stalling in case our listeners want to grab uh, something to write with, although certainly the benefit of this show is that we have it on tape, so, so individuals can go back and listen to it over and over and over again. But I'm going to ask you one question while we're having people grab a pen, and then I'm going to go through each of these documents just quickly, one by one by one, so that people have time to really write them down and maybe jot a note about, uh, about what they, they represent. So I, when you mentioned the trust, you talked specifically about arranging for care for a minor. So someone under the age of 18, essentially. Would that also be applicable if you were caring for an adult parent or maybe an adult child who would have special needs? Would that still be the same, the same uh, arrangement? Absolutely. The, the, the trust, uh, many people fear the trust because they can become complicated and burdensome, but they allow for so many flexibilities. Uh, typically, we will have a, a trustee in place that has uh, some type of discretionary power. And, and most of the times, that power is called a HIMS standard, health, education, maintenance, and support. Those powers allow the trustee to have a lot of flexibility and to be able to care for the individual, whether it's an incapacitated adult, uh, whether it's a, a child uh, with special needs, um, those trusts will work in that same capacity as it would for someone with a minor 
giving the guardian uh, discretionary powers uh, to care for them. And then if you want, uh, often we will put mandatory um, distribution ages out if we're not looking at uh, an incapacity uh, with an incompetent adult. Great. Thank you for that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to list what I thought I heard, the five documents. And if you can just give us a quick sentence of what each of those documents represents. I know that you've done this already, but I just want to make sure that we hammer these, these points. So the first one you mentioned is the power of attorney. Correct. The power of attorney allows for someone to step in and help manage uh, the personal finances uh, of an individual. The second one was a health care power of attorney. The health care power of attorney uh, allows an individual to step in and make health care decisions when someone's unable to do that for themselves, to get second opinions, uh, to move to uh, a different hospital, uh, a different uh, physician. It gives you uh, those abilities to gather information to help make health care decisions on behalf of someone. The third one Living will. The living will helps provide guidance to family and a treating physician that once a terminal condition is established and established in writing, whether an individual would want life-prolonging measures applied to his or her life. The fourth one is the will. I don't want to say the regular will, but a will. Uh, yes, uh, a last will and testament is often how it's referred to. Uh, the importance, again, is typically appointing a guardian uh, to help with uh, any type of incapacity that the person's uh, will it is for, uh, and then also to allow for the transfer of assets to friends, family, and charities. And the last one you said was a trust. Uh, correct. The, the, the trust um, is a vehicle uh, that is used to hold assets and to allow the trustee to disperse those assets based on the, the directions uh, of the settler, the person setting up uh, the trust. And it can be used uh, for health, education, maintenance, support, whatever criteria uh, the individual setting the trust up chooses. And then I just wanted to repeat additional information that I thought was really important. <clears throat> you raised the point that, that individuals should raise other points of conversation with with their attorney or their family, and those are around taxes, both in terms of using pre-tax dollars in a health care savings account to pay for care. Also, you mentioned that there may be items that could be deductible. So when they're doing their taxes at the end of the year, there might be medical-related expenses that could be deducted. Um, and then also additional financial planning. Correct. That is correct. The, the, the health, uh, the, the, the deductibility of expenses, the way the tax code is currently set up, many of us on a year-to-year basis do not keep track of our medical expenses because most of the time they're not deductible. I always urge clients to keep track of those medical bills. We never know when we might have a major illness that comes up. If it comes up in September of October and we have surgeries or some type of accident, and we haven't kept track of those expenses during the first part of the year, there may be deductions that are lost. Um, so uh, keep track of them all year long. Keep them in a folder. And if it's something that we need to review come tax time, we'll have all the information available to uh, take advantage uh, of those bills that are deductible. 
Great. Thank you. And then, and then I also heard you talk about alternative ways to pay for care, such as a, a reverse mortgage. And we have about one minute left before we go to break. I'm just wondering if you could just give us a snapshot into what is a reverse mortgage, just quickly. Uh, yes. A reverse mortgage takes the equity of a home. If we've got a $100,000 home, um, the lender will loan typically about 80% of that. You receive all of those proceeds at one time. Uh, so you would have $80,000 in my example. The, uh, there are no payments uh, for that money. It is yours. You do retain the ownership of the house. Um, and when you die, depending on whether there's any equity in the property, you can retain that house. Or if there's not any equity, you can just simply turn it over to the lender. So it allows you to use uh, the equity in the house without ever having to make a future payment with respect to that, those borrowed funds. Great. Thank you for that. That's really helpful. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, I'd like to start by talking a little bit about the family's role in in some of these conversations and some of your other recommendations in terms of seeking legal help. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored in part by Takeda Oncology and Genentech. We will return with our final segment right after this break. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. 
Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your guest host today, Linda House, the president of the Cancer Support Community, filling in for our CEO, Kim Tebaldo, who is off today. We are coming up on our last segment here, and this has been such a helpful show. show. Paul and Claire, I can't even begin to tell you how much I appreciate having you um, here to help with this really important topic. Um, Paul, our last segment focused on specifics. We were very specific around five documents, other helpful hints around taxes and financial planning. I just, I had one question sort of remaining from, you know, that particular topic and it is around the family. And we talked a little bit about some of the psychosocial pieces and I know that we'll get into that again in just a second with Clara, but I'm wondering if, um, if there are any sort of legal considerations for the family, especially in situations where there may be shared assets like a home. Uh, yes. I mean, walking through um, the, the five documents that we discussed, I kind of break them up into two categories, the power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, and living will, and as it relates to the guardianship as well. I really try to have the caregivers and other family members involved in those decisions to understand the roles, to understand the expectations, uh, when they might be required to act, um, and also talk through with uh, my clients as to the practical side to this. Uh, you have to consider age. You have to consider uh, the geographics. Uh, I had a, a client that wanted a parent to be um, a guardian of a child that lives in Alaska, and, and the family's here in Indiana. Uh, and obviously, there's a trust relationship there, but it's just very impractical uh, for that to take place with that type of distance. So we try to talk through the practical sides uh, on those documents and, and help uh, the clients understand uh, how those decisions and who's involved in those will affect uh, those individuals. The wills and the trust are a little bit different. Um, we try to separate those, particularly when it comes to assets. We help the clients walk through and understand when they're trying to leave assets, how that will work, whether assets will pass directly to an individual, well, it will pass through the will, because we can, through the titling of assets, uh, do a lot of a planning inside and outside uh, of the will. So understanding how quickly we can get an asset to an individual. Again, what's the tax consequences of getting that asset to the individual? Um, And we try to keep that a little bit more confidential. I don't want clients to um, often share how assets are going to be uh, delivered to a family member or a friend and then feel like they can't change those or have to explain uh, later. Um, We do feel it's very important to have individual know when they're being involved in a, in a power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, or guardianship role, but maybe not that same uh, information share when it comes to wills and trust. Great. Thank you. And Claire, I just want you to, to jump in here because I know that um, that you see a number of these situations and that, and that different family situations do play a big role in some of the decisions patients make. So what what is what is your advice to patients when they come to you and, and what are some of the different scenarios that, that, that you've had to work through? Well, like we mentioned earlier, there's dynamics kind of at play in each family situation. I think a special consideration is, you know, families that are in their second marriage or have children from different spouses. And again, with that, it's just kind of talking through and initiating that family conversation. But really just, you know, talking to the current spouse about goals and what extent they want to leave assets to the children. But I think 
one of the things that often gets missed is reviewing plans from previous marriage. I had a situation where someone hadn't reviewed their plan and they didn't change the right documents and ended up leaving everything to their ex-spouse. Um, so it's one of those things where you kind of need to review this on a you know annual or every few year basis. And also there's the other dynamic of, you know, what happens if there's an estranged family member and how do you account for them. But usually it's just that, like Paul's already talked about, there's considerations, you know, legally in terms of trust or, you know, putting in the will, you know, how you want that to be handled. And if there needs to be, you know, someone to help that loved one, in, in the inheritance part or if, you know, certain things need to be achieved. But it's really just having those conversations and knowing your own family dynamics and just helping prepare everybody, like Paul's already mentioned, keeping everyone on the same page. Well, I think it's important to remember that this is a service that the CSC network, which includes Gilda's clubs um, throughout the United States, can help with. And you might speak a little bit to, you know, whether that's done in a, in a group setting or if it's done one-on-one or if it's done um, in, in both type of settings. And, and we know that, that this is a service that's provided also free of charge to, to patients and their families. Can you just expand upon that a little bit? Sure. You know, we have educational events every calendar series, and sometimes it's on these topics specifically, so that's always something that's asked upon. Or if it's not necessarily the estate or financial piece, but end-of-life paperwork, like he's talked about, who do I want my, you know, um, durable power of attorney to be, what do I want my end-of-life wishes to be, Um, depending on your state, there's the five wishes document or the caring conversations, where it kind of just explores how to make those healthcare wishes known to your family. So yes, that is done, you know, either in our support groups, I know coming up in October, we're having a panel on the caring conversations booklet, which is what we do here in Missouri. Mm And so if, if people don't see it on your calendars or on calendars in their affiliate area, they should just pick up the phone and, and either call you or call the National Helpline, and we'll definitely get them connected to someone who can help them start to have these type of, of conversations. Absolutely. That's, you know, part of the ability with our affiliate network is that resource and referral, and any need that there is, we can help navigate the system for them. Great. Paul, I'm going to bring you in. We've got about two minutes of, of all the incredible information that we've covered here today, is there anything that we've either left off the table or you'd like to clarify a little more you want to leave our listeners with? Uh, just a couple of things. Um, one, uh, Claire touched uh, briefly upon it. If most of the time there isn't, uh, although these services are free, most of the time people are doing these services for family members and there isn't a charge. But occasionally a caregiver uh, will expect there to be some type of compensation. So they really need to make sure that that's in writing, uh, it's defined, what the wages might be, and what the scope of the work will do. It, it will uh, save from there being family uh, problems uh, down the road. Uh, just a couple of, of final tips. Uh, one that was shared um, by my mother to me that uh, I think it's important for people. Uh, we need to give when we can give and we need to take when we need to take, and, and people can't be afraid uh, to ask for help, um, uh, particularly when they have uh, an illness um, th- that's, that they're fighting through uh, on it. Um, and one last thing, 
one of the hardest things that I learned in my journey is that once the treatment phase is over, everybody feels like you're a cancer survivor. People need to understand that they're, it, it's a tough transition once the treatment phase is over, um, and it's difficult when you're getting back to what is now your new life. Um, there are resources out there uh, that both of you guys have made aware uh, to the public, uh, and we need to understand that uh, we need to be a little bit patient uh, with ourselves as we're working to get back um, and, and continue to be uh, a cancer survivor. Um, none of us know what God's plan is for us, uh, so I would just tell everybody, make sure they really enjoy uh, life, live in the present, and, and find somebody to laugh with. Great. Thank you for closing us on those words, Paul. Very powerful. Paul and Clara, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing your stories and your experiences. This can be such a complex and difficult topic, but you were both really helpful in shedding a lot of light and great information on this. Thank you, Paul, for also sharing your cancer experience with us today. I know that means a lot to our listeners, especially um, those who are, who, who are, are looking for someone for hope and, and, and understanding. Thank you for that. To You're our welcome. listeners... Thank you for joining us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Again, I was your guest host and very proud to, to be able to stand in for Kim Tebow, the CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and over-the-phone support. If you or someone you know is faced with a cancer diagnosis, you do not have to do it alone. Listen to the advice of Paul's very wise mother. For more information about our programs, visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org to find a location near you, which includes our Gilda's Club's affiliates. Our toll-free helpline is available to you also at 888-793-9355, where you can speak with a licensed mental health professional Monday through Friday, 9 a.m to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.